Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Stop as we step back, as we turn our gaze to Jesus, we are actually transformed more and more into his image. Right? Second uh, Corinthians 3.18 says, As we behold your glory, we are transformed by your spirit more and more into your image. Right? And so that is why we're spending this middle of the, this middle trimester, I don't know what to call it, the middle of the year, these four months, pursuing the upward call, getting to know Jesus better. And so we're spending eight weeks talking about the attributes of God. Last week, Jimmy did a fantastic job talking about the goodness of God. We've talked about the, the mercy of God. We're going to be talking about God's justice, his omnipotence, and his omniscience here in the, in the coming weeks. And today, we're going to be taking some time to look and to gaze and to remember and contemplate God's faithfulness. All right? And so what is faithfulness? Faithfulness is being true to one's word, being true to one's promises. Faithfulness is being steady in our affections. It's being steady in our allegiance. Faithfulness is loyalty. And when we look for friends or we look for co-workers or when we look for a spouse, people that we need to or people that we want to rely on, we are looking for people that are faithful. When Amber and I, uh, when we first met, we were both working at Little Caesars. And uh, isn't that so cute? So cute. And, uh, and we were both working at Little Caesars. And, and at one time, an a opening for a, a shift manager came up. And I was pretty confident that I was going to get the position. Amber thought she was going to get the position. We had both been there uh, a similar amount of time. And... And so when I found out that the manager gave this shift manager position to Amber, I was, I just couldn't, I could not believe it. I was like, what is going on here? This is crazy talk, right? And so I go to the, the manager and to, to find out how he could have made such a ridiculous decision as to promote Amber instead of me. And she knows I'm telling this story. It's actually, anyway. So, and he says to me, says, well, the reason is, um, because, uh, Amber is committed, she is diligent, and she is passionate about Little Caesar succeeding. And I was like, well, okay, that's probably true, but why, why, do you think that that, why do you think that that is not me? And he's like, well, Amber, she shows up early for her shifts. She's willing to stay late, right? She uh, doesn't cut any corners. She makes sure everything on the list is done before she takes off. And Mark, when things get busy and things get crazy, you have this tendency to actually say out loud to the rest of the store, hey, no big deal, it's just pizza. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, and? Like, I just didn't get it. I was like, what's your point? It's just pizza, no big whoop, right? And he's like, no, no, no. You see, Amber has revealed, she's shown her faithfulness. She's shown that she is going to be committed and, and faithful to this position. Right? And that's what they were looking for. They were looking for faithfulness. And eventually, either because they got desperate or maybe I matured, I eventually became a manager at Little Caesars. And uh, it was great. Amber and I, were, we were married. We were both managing different Little Caesars. 
You know, we were each bringing down about 18 G a year. It was, it was pretty sweet. And, uh, and so, and what, when, as a manager, what we realized that the, the best employees weren't necessarily the people who were the best customer service people or the best at pie border landing. That's making the pizzas or pulling them out of the oven, respectively. All right, it was the people who would actually show up for their shifts. Like, those were our very favorite employees, right? And when Amber and I led children's ministry at Nichols, it was the exact same thing. We found that the best teachers were actually the ones that would show up in love on their kids, right? And you, this, the reality is that you can't be a, a, a good teacher, you can't be a good friend, you can't be a good employee, and you definitely can't be a good spouse if you aren't faithful. If you aren't faithful to show up and do what you said you're going to do. And while human beings, because of sin, are probably going to let us down, human beings may be unfaithful. God never has been and never will be unfaithful. God is unrelentingly faithful. He is unwavering in his allegiance to us. He is unwavering in his affection towards us. And because faithfulness is one of God's attributes, he can be no other way. It is impossible for God to be unfaithful. And so we can trust him to do what he says he's going to do. And so I want to take a couple of minutes just to look at a, a couple of the different times where the Bible talks about the faithfulness of God. And there are about a zillion options we could have chosen because the Bible, the, the Psalms, and, and, and the, the rest of the book is filled with stories of God's faithfulness. They're filled with, with songs declaring the faithfulness of God. And in the story of the Old Testament, God had committed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to make them into a great nation and to bless the entire world through them and through their descendants. And so in Deuteronomy, Moses is recounting all that God has done and all that God has said to the, the people of Israel before he dies and they go marching into the promised land. And here in Deuteronomy 7, uh, it says, uh, he tells of the faithfulness of God in rescuing them from Egypt. I think I got it here. The Lord, Moses says, the Lord did not set his affection on you, Israelites, and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out, out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And so Moses is reminding them that God promised Abraham that while after his descendants were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, he was going to bring them out. And he says, God is faithful and he kept his oath. He kept his promise. And then we're going to jump to the, the New Testament, 
And in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, this young pastor that he is raising up. And he's encouraging Timothy to stand strong in the faith, to remember the things that, that Paul had taught him. To, uh, he, he says to, to run the race, to, to fight the, the good fight. And he's like to, in, encouraging him to keep on keeping on. And he says, I am writing this to you, Timothy, in chains. And he's like, and just as I have suffered, just as I have been persecuted, you are going to be persecuted and you are going to suffer. And then he says um, that this in verse, verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11, he says in kind of concluding this section of encouragement to Timothy, he says, here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And so Paul, encouraging young Timothy to, to lead the church well, to, to remember the, the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, as he encourages him, he says, yeah, you're going to go through some tough, stuff. But remember, if you endure, right, God is going to, if you, know, if you endure, you are going to reign with him. But if you walk away, he's going to disown you. But if you are faithless, God will always be faithful. He is always faithful. For God to be unfaithful would be to act contrary to his nature, which is impossible. God is always faithful. And then finally, in the book of Isaiah, the prophet speaks of what we now know as the coming Messiah, uh, who is Jesus Christ. And he says that righteousness will be his belt and, the, and faithfulness will be the sash around his waist. That's from Isaiah 11.5. Right? Jesus, who is the perfect representation of the Father, is faithful. Jesus, our Savior, is faithful. And so where I want to spend the, the bulk of our time this morning is talking and looking at the story of Peter. This is near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, just before he goes to the cross. It is a story that reveals Jesus and the Father's unwavering faithfulness, even in the face of our own faithlessness. And so at the Last Supper, this was the, the final meal that Jesus ate with his disciples before he was arrested and ultimately uh, crucified. Uh, it says this, and we're in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 31. This is at the Last Supper. Jesus tells them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same. And so after this, 
Peter's bravado, the rest of the apostles saying, you know, it doesn't matter what happens, Jesus. We're not going to fall away. We're with you 100%. Then Jesus and the disciples go to a garden to pray, the Garden of Gethsemane. There, Jesus is arrested and drug off to be tried before the high priest and before the Jewish leaders. And as we follow the story in the the Gospel of Matthew, Peter follows along into the courtyard of the high priest, and he waits to see what is going to happen. And so we're going to pick up the story in verse 69. Matthew 26, 69 says, Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter says, denies it again with an oath. I don't know the man. And after a little while, while those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses. Peter, Peter was, a, was a fisherman. I bet he could curse with the best of them. I told Amber, I was like, it would probably be really powerful if I just started swearing. And she's like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so Peter calls down curses and he swears, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. It's an incredible story. Can you imagine the, the shame and the guilt that Peter would have been feeling. After his incredible bravado at the, at the Last Supper, no matter what, Jesus, I'm with you. And here, right in front of just a servant girl, he denies even knowing him, curses him, turns his back on him. But praise God, this is not the end of the story. Right? If we jump to the Gospel of John, it records this amazing encounter between Jesus and Peter after Jesus' resurrection. And it says, when they had finished eating, so imagine this, he's eating dinner with the resurrected Jesus. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lamb. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Then a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And he said to him, follow me. The fact that after Peter's rejection and turning his back 
on Jesus three times. And here's the rooster crow. He goes off. He weeps bitterly. Jesus comes to him and restores him by asking him three times, Will, do you love me? Overcoming those, those three rejections, right? And he ends with says, Follow me. And if you go back to uh, Matthew 4, where Jesus calls Peter for the first time, he says, You know, drop your nets and come follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. So even after Peter's faithlessness at this time when maybe Jesus needed him most, Jesus comes and restores him and says, you've not missed out on your call. You have not missed out on your opportunity to come and be with me. He says, come, follow me. So Jesus lavishes this grace on an undeserving Peter. But I want to turn to another gospel, the Gospel of Luke. And this is Luke's uh, account of the, the Last Supper when Jesus says, Somebody is going to, you, you're all going to, to scatter. Right? And, the, and Peter says, Not me, I'm never. Even if I have to die with you, uh, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to leave you. And Jesus says this to Luke, or to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Right? And so all of you is a, is, the, is a plural. Jesus talking about all the disciples. Satan has asked to sift all of you guys as wheat, to, to persecute you, to, to crush you, to try to, to get you to deny Jesus, to run away. And he says, but Peter, I have prayed for you. And that's a singular you. Satan has asked to sift all of you, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith, and again, the singular you, he says, I have prayed for your faith, that your faith may not fail. And as we know the the story, we know that Peter's faith wavers, and we know that Jesus knows what is going to happen. Whoops. But he says that your faith, I'm praying that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knows that Peter, his faith is going to waver. He knows that he's going to reject him, but he gives Peter a promise. He says, after you've rejected me, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. To me, that is incredible. It's incredible. I know you're going to reject me. But when you come back, you're going, to, you're going to lead these disciples. You're going to change the world. Right? And we see that in Acts 2 at Pentecost. Peter comes out and he boldly proclaims the, the risen Savior before the people that, were, that killed him and that he was hiding from just a few days prior to that. Jesus made a promise and he was faithful to fulfill it. And so just as Jesus was faithful to fulfill his promise to Peter, we want to ask ourselves, what has God promised us? What is God going to be faithful to fulfill that he has promised to us? When I was in in Mexico, uh, we traveled there with a number of PIH leaders and one of them, uh, her name was Renee Grahusky. She, uh, her and her husband, Ron, pastor uh, PIH Church in Ishpeming. And they are amazing. And she tells this story of early in their marriage, they got this prophetic word that 
that their marriage was going to be an example to other marriages. And they had a difficult time believing that, accepting that, because as Renee tells the story, their marriage was not an example to anybody. They were uh, barely Christians. They were, they, were, they were struggling. And one morning, they, they got in a big fight, and Ron goes off to, to work. And she's like, whatever. And a little while later, the phone rings. And there's been a, <laughs> and there's been a terrible accident. And the person on the phone says, Ron, it's been a terrible accident, and he's dead. And she's like, what? How could this be? And she gets down, she falls down on her knees and starts praying that God would heal him, that God would restore him, that God would bring him back. And she holds on to this promise. She says, God, you told me that our marriage was going to be an example to other people. You promised. And I'm holding on to this promise. God, bring him back. God, restore him. Lord, you promised this. You said that our marriage was going to be an example to other people. So God, heal him. And somehow, Ron was healed. Ron survived. Like they are pastoring this church together How decades later, right? And she is convinced she is convinced, if we talk to her, that it was that prayer that brought Ron back to life. She's convinced that he was dead and that as she held on to this promise that God had given her, he answered and he was faithful to that promise. And now, they're amazing. I mean, they're amazing. They're leading this church. They are absolutely, they have touched me. They have blessed my, you know, uh, my, my own marriage as, as I looked at them as, as a couple seeking God and God has been faithful to keep that promise. So what, God, what, what promises has God made to you? you know, what prophetic words has he spoken over your life? I know I, I've grown up in this culture, in the, this river culture uh, out of Toronto, where, where we, you know, we believe that we can hear God's voice, that he is speaking today that he, his prophetic word is, is still active. And, and so over the years, I get, I've gotten prophetic words a lot. And it gets to the point where I'm just like, thanks so much, it's really nice, great. Oh, thanks so much, yep. And, and it's like, I don't, I don't even, oh, whatever. I just treat the prophetic word of God like it's just another, just another thing. And after I heard Renee's story, I was like, God, I repent for not cherishing the words that you have spoken to me. And so now we can go to my computer and we can find the file of prophetic words that I've been keeping track of and I've typed in there and I'm like, man, this is what you've said, God. This is, this is what you've promised to me. And there's some in there that I'm, I'm not convinced are, are him. I'm sticking a pin in them. We'll see, we'll see what happens. But there's some that resonate with my spirit. There's some that I've brought to Cameron and I'm like, what do you think about this? And he's like, absolutely, hold on to that word. And I'm holding on to the promises that God has made. And so I encourage you, this is kind of an aside, hold on to the prophetic words that, that you receive, right? But outside of the, the prophetic words, God has given us a bunch of promises in his word, in the Bible, right? God has promised us salvation. He has promised us eternal life. He has promised that he is faithful to forgive when we confess our sins. 
He has promised to fill us with the Holy Spirit. He has promised to give us provision to meet our day-to-day needs. He has promised healing. He has promised wisdom and peace. He has promised to help us overcome temptation. He has promised to protect us. He has promised to have intimacy with us. And he has promised to end suffering. All these promises we can hold firmly to, knowing that God is faithful. He is faithful to do what he's promised. And we should declare and believe and hold fast to these promises in our lives all the time. God, you promised that you are going to protect me. God, you promised that you were going to fill me with your Holy Spirit and empower me to do the same works that you've done. You promised to, to save me. Right? You have promised to, to come and be close and to be intimate with me, closer than a brother. Right? You have promised. And God has shown himself faithful. He's shown himself faithful throughout the, the story of the Old Testament as he moves throughout, the, throughout history to bring redemption. And he ultimately reveals himself as faithful by solving the problem of sin and death through Jesus Christ on, on the cross, who is the bridge that allows us to come into right relationship with God. God is faithful. But I would be remiss in this moment not to mention my own struggle with holding on to some of these promises. To, to just mention how I've had to grapple with the faithfulness of God when it seems from my perspective that he's not being very faithful. You know, there are times when, though I absolutely believe in, in the faithfulness of God, that I feel like he's not being faithful in the way that I would like him to be. And a number of years ago, um, my father-in-law died of cancer. And, uh, and we were so expectant. We were so believing that he was going to be healed that it felt like, like a punch in the gut right? when he didn't, when he passed away. And I know many people in this church and at Nichols are struggling with pain and with disease in, in, their, in their body or in people that they love. Right? We know that there are Christians all across the globe that are being persecuted and killed because of their faith. And so how do we hold on to God's faithfulness in the face of difficulty and in the face of suffering? How do we trust God when we feel like He is being unfaithful? And so I'm just going to share how I've had to grapple with this Hopefully this is helpful. First, we must, allow, we must not allow our experience to trump the word of God for our beliefs. We cannot allow our experience to trump the word of God for what we believe in and what we hold fast to. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are excuse me <laughs> for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
All right, and this is tough. Let me get off this first. This, this, is, this is hard, and it's not altogether satisfying sometimes, right? But we have to understand that our perspective on life is finite. We're very limited. We don't understand how God's providence and, and humanity's free will all works together. But we can trust in what God has revealed about himself and has proven himself to be on the grand scale. You know, though we may wish certain details were different, we know that God is faithful. We've seen his faithfulness, especially on the cross. And the, and the reality is, as, as Amber and I were, were struggling with this, with this difficulty of her dad passing away, that, that we got this revelation, we held tight, right, that God does not cause bad things to happen. Right? God is never the author of evil. Right? He feels our pain. He is with us in the midst of our pain. And I know that one of the most significant revelations that, that Amber got in the midst of this pain and in this hurt with her dad passing away, that Jesus was right there with her weeping. Jesus, God, the Father, he's not okay with death. He's not like, oh, it's no big deal, right? He, it, 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 it hurts him, it pains him, right? His creation was never supposed to endure this thing. And so he weeps with us as we have to endure the, the pain of death and, and sin, the consequences of the fall. And God hates death and sin so much that he was willing to do something to save us from it, to send Jesus to die on the cross. And Jesus we will, it has defeated Satan. He has defeated death. And when he comes back and his coming, he is going to defeat death once and for all. He's going to throw Satan into the lake of fire. And he is going to restore all things and make all things as they're supposed to be. Because God is faithful. And so first, don't allow your experience to trump the word of God. Trust him. He is faithful. He is making all things right. Second, the reality of our suffering and trials should not and is not a surprise. We would be in a, in a tough place if Jesus said, trust me, I'm faithful. Everything's going to be great. Everything's always going to be great. But he never did. He didn't say that. Jesus actually told his followers, in this world, you will have trouble. And if we look at the, the Greek meaning of this word trouble, it means trouble that inflicts distress. In this world, you're going to have trouble that inflicts distress. You're going to have oppression, affliction, tribulation. But Jesus says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. What we see and experience in this life is not the end of the story. Jesus has overcome, and our hope is that Jesus is coming back, right, to set everything right again, to completely and finally defeat sin and Satan. So don't be surprised when suffering comes your way. It in no way invalidates God's faithfulness or his goodness or his love or his compassion or his mercy. Jesus suffered. 
Paul, the apostle, suffer. Peter, who we just talked about, who was restored by, by Jesus, suffered. And in one letter that, that Peter wrote, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, it says, in all this, he's talking about our eternal hope of salvation through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, in all this, we greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief. You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So Peter says, this man who was, was persecuted and eventually martyred, Peter says that suffering, it's a testing by fire. It is a, a proving process. And those who go through it demonstrate the genuineness of their faith. The, the genuineness of their, their faith in God's faithfulness. They're willing to hold on. Even when things don't look like they're working out, they're willing to stand firm and say, I don't care what's happening around me. God is faithful. He will see me through this. And I know that one day he's going to set all things right again. And third, we must hold suffering and the faithfulness of God in the reality of this tension of a life now and not yet. We are in the kingdom. When we believe in Jesus, we are transported from the kingdom of death into the kingdom of light. But we still live in a fallen world. And Satan, Paul says, is still the God of this world. And, and, the, and the suffering of the believers, Peter also says, is often rooted in Satan. 1 Peter 5.8, he says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We're still in a fallen world. And the enemy is looking to, to pull us away, to distract us, to devour us, to crush us. And Peter says, resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Don't be unfaithful. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Right? Satan is out to get us. But we know that at the cross, Jesus dealt the defeating blow to him. And we know that when Jesus comes back, it's going to be over for him. And that we will be with our Father, face to face with God, with Jesus, for all of eternity. And so God is faithful. Don't let difficult circumstances distract you and keep you from holding on to that reality, from holding on and proclaiming, holding fast to the truth that God is my protector. He is going to see me through. He is never going to abandon me. He is never going to leave me. He has chosen me. He has called me. And as I, if I, as I hold faithful to God's faithfulness, he will see me through. He is our protector. And though we go through various trials, sufferings in this life, we can stand on the truth of his faithfulness and that we are safe in him. Would you pray with me as we close?
Father God, we love you. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. God, I thank you for your commitment to your creation. That even though we messed everything up, even though we sinned and brought corruption and destruction and death into your perfect creation, you said, I'm going to set everything right again. And you ultimately sent Jesus, your very son, to bear the penalty for sin that each one of us deserved so that we could live forever with you. God, we thank you for your faithfulness and we stand upon your promises, unwavering. Lord, I pray that you would help us when we waver, that we could hold fast to your promises, that we could trust that your word is true, that we could trust that you will never leave us, that you will never abandon us. And Lord, I pray for any person here who has struggled with this, who has seen pain and difficulty and trials and suffering in their life and have been tempted to walk away and say, this can't be true. God, I pray that you would restore faith, that you would just reveal yourself true and loving, that you would come and reveal yourself to each one and help us to step into the faith even in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our worry. We thank you, God, that our faithfulness doesn't have to be perfect because your faithfulness is. We love you. We thank you. Amen, amen, amen.